Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Okay, I feel like every week I'm going to be apologizing to our law enforcement uh, members uh, here. I, I, I mentioned that last week. I told Brandy, I said, it's a neat little video, but, uh, you know, a lot, of, uh, a lot of cops have an adverse reaction to the donut type thing. Uh, except for Bill Hartley Jr. Bill's retired. He's in our first service. Uh, most of the time he's retired law enforcement. And uh, he really embraces it because he loves donuts. I came in this morning and one of these small inflatables had the air out of it. And I accused Bill of biting it, thinking it was a, uh, a real donut. Uh, of course, it wasn't. Guys, the reason we're doing this series of hot topics is that in our culture, I, I think we're having a, a lot of massive change. Uh, I shared with you last week about kind of how frustrated uh, I am with it because I'm uh, uh, older than a lot of you and maybe not as old as some of you, but I see the world that I uh, grew up in changing uh, quickly more and more by the moment. And it seems like people are less concerned about what God says about an issue. Uh, you know, what is biblical, what's the, uh, the real truth regarding some type of issue. And people are being more and more driven just by what our culture says uh, and what Hollywood says or whatever. So I, I think we need to deal with hot topics in our culture, but I'm not doing this trying to stir up trouble. I hope you understand that. It may stir up some trouble because I don't know where you are on some of these things, uh, but I'm just going to try and, and give you, once we jump into the actual hot topics, I'm just going to try and give you what I think the Bible says uh, in, in regards to these things and I mean, kind of let the chips fall where they may. Uh, that being said, though, I think we have to be on guard as believers. I've got a personal awareness uh, maybe more so than I used to have, that I need to be on guard because of my level of frustration that I have with our culture. It'd be awfully easy for me just to be the guy that's screaming in the darkness, you know, or screaming at the darkness and, uh, you know, coming across almost like uh, mean spirit and things like that. I don't want to be that person. I don't want our church to be that church because that's not the reason to deal with these hot topics. And I've taken last week when we were in Romans 12, 1 and 2, to look at not being conformed, but instead being transformed uh, to kindly help start to set the basis uh, for us addressing some specific hot topics in our culture. Uh, today, I'm going to kind of finish that some because I felt like I needed to do some groundwork to maybe even temper myself and maybe temper some of you. Uh, how, many, how many feel frustrated because of the changes in our world, you know? Uh, so, you know, you may be as frustrated as I am, and uh, we maybe need to temper ourselves together by, by understanding uh, why culture is so messed up. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about why is, is culture so messed up and get a better understanding of that, because I think that's central to us having the right response understanding why culture is messed up to begin with. And uh, we're going to look at kind of a foundational reason why we ought to be concerned uh, about culture. And then we're also going to kind of close out by talking about how we need to engage and challenge culture with the right motive, uh, with the right reason, with the right goals in, in place is what we'll talk about uh, at, the, uh, at, at the last point in, in the message. Uh, but I just feel like we need to be 
We, we need to avoid having the wrong attitude. At the same time, guys, I don't want to be the kind of pastor and I don't want us to be the kind of church that avoids these hot topics either. We need to approach them with the right attitude, but we don't need to ignore them. We don't need to act like they don't exist in our culture. We don't need to be the kind of believers that in the interest of being good little Christians, that we don't confront anybody about anything. And I'm afraid there's a tendency in our culture for Christians to be like that. Well, we, you know, we're going to be walk on eggs and everything. We, we don't want to upset you in some way. We don't want to be offensive. And my goal is not for us to be offensive, but my goal is for us to be on offense. You understand the difference? Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against it. A gate is not an offensive weapon, it's a defensive weapon. Hell ought to be scared of us, not the other way around. (laughs) We ought to be on the offense. We ought to be dealing with these type of topics and telling people what biblical truth really, really is. I want to give you a quote that uh, David Platt put in his book on counterculture. I mentioned that book last week before we kind of jump into the message. Uh, It's by Elizabeth Rundle Charles, a book published in 1864. And uh, she wrote these words. If I profess with the loudest voice and the clearest exposition, every portion of truth of God, but notice what she says here, except precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking. Do you understand what she's saying? If we try and deal with everything else, but we shrink back from dealing with how the devil is attacking in this moment, in our world, that's why we're dealing with these hot topics. If we shrink back from that, then she says, I'm not confessing Christ. However, boldly, I may be professing Christianity. Where the battle rages, the loyalty of the soldier is proof. Think about that for a moment. It's in the battle, it's on the front line where the real loyalty of a soldier proves. It's not back on the back line somewhere. It's where the battle is. So guys, we've got a battle, a warfare in our culture today. And we can't just shrink back from that. Where, where the battle raises the loyalty of the soldier proves. And to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace to him if he flinches at the one Point. So we're in a cultural battlefield. Would you agree with that? Today in our world, we're in a cultural battlefield, a cultural war. And we need to be careful that we don't flinch and fail to address the areas where Satan is really attacking in our culture today. So that's why we're doing the series to begin with, to be sure we don't fail to discuss the truth of God's word. We need to be more concerned about telling people the truth and rescuing people from a fallen culture, then we're concerned about what will they think about us? How will they view us if we try and confront them with the truth of the gospel? We have to be more concerned about generations of youth and children that are being misled by culture instead of us thinking we need just to be quiet about it. But our frustration and our urgency in challenging culture needs to be in the right way, and it needs to be in the right attitude. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. If you're following along in your uh, updates and and, and taking notes, here's the first thing that we're going to deal with this morning. And it's simply this. We need to understand why culture is so messed up. 
We need to foundationally understand why we're in the mess we're in, why the world is in the mess it's in. Because you see, if we fail to understand the root cause, the real foundational cause as to why the culture is in the mess that it's in, then we will respond in the wrong way. But when we understand we're kind of all in the same boat, and there's something that happened years ago that messed up culture, messed up God's original design for this world. When we understand that, and then we factor in all the issues that we're seeing, it'll help us maybe respond in, in, in the right way. See, here's the foundational cause for worldly culture being so messed up. We live in a fallen world. We live, we exist in a fallen world. That's why culture is so messed up. And and guys, if we fail to recognize that, then we will respond in the wrong way. And here's what I mean by that. If, If we fail to recognize the way people are, the way they act, the things they're accepting, the things they're adopting into their lives, the things they're believing, if we fail to recognize it's a result of the fall that took place Early on in mankind's history, if we fail to recognize that, then instead we're going to be responding to that individual like, it's your fault. You know, you're, you're, there's something wrong with you. Guess what? There's something wrong with all of us. Amen? Then there's something wrong in our world because of the fall that took place. In Genesis 3, 1 and 2, it says, now the serpent was more crafty. That's how he deals with us, isn't it? More crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, and notice how Satan puts it. Now, that's who I believe that serpent is. Notice how he puts it. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, is that what God said? What did God really say? You can eat of every tree except the one, right? That's what he said. But the way Satan deals with things, he wants to get us to question what God had to say. And that's what he did with a woman. He's trying to get her to question what God had to say. And even when she responded, well, no, God said we can eat of everything else except that one tree. And he kind of then plays in to it. And and he tells her, well, God only told you that because he's hedging his bets. And he knows if you eat of that tree, you'll become just like him. See, guys, the problem is this. From the time of the fall until now, we have been questioning, and mankind has been questioning the truth of God's word. We've been questioning whether God knows what he's talking about. We've been questioning whether or not this is really right and this is really wrong. That's the foundational reason why we have all these hot topics, all these issues in our cultures, because we live in a fallen culture. David Platt said this, once we take God out of the picture, now, We've kind of done that, haven't we? Think about it. Once we take God out of the picture, we lose objectivity for determining what is good and evil, right and wrong, moral and immoral. Has that not what's taken place in our culture? We've erased God out of the equation. As a result of that, we have this moral relativism in our world that it's kind of up to you to decide what's right. It's up to you to decide what's right and what's wrong in your own life. Instead of there being some kind of standard, when we take God out of the equation, we no longer have a standard for what is right, what is wrong, what is evil, and what is good. That's why culture's in the mess that it's in. Mankind really needs to deal with about three truths I'm going to bring up before you, uh, honestly, and I don't think we do that very good. The first one is this. God is creator. And if he is creator, he's got the right to set the rules. Amen? 
He created everything. People don't like that. They push against that. But if God is, in fact, the creator, God of the Bible that we're told about, he has the authority and the right to set the rules. Second truth we really need to deal with is, is men and women is this. If God is self-existent, eternal God, he deserves to be glorified. If he has no beginning and no end, if he's the one that spoke everything into existence, if he's the one that did all of those things, he deserves to be glorified. He deserves for us to respond to him in a way we want to glorify him and magnify him. And guys, that's the opposite of what's taking place in our culture. Third truth is this. If God has provided for man a way to be forgiven and receive eternal life by putting his son on the cross to die for our sins. If God has done that for us and great appreciation for what he has done, we ought to glorify him and serve him. Don't you think? But those are three truths that, that we don't really deal with in an honest way. See, for all of us that have really trusted Christ as our Savior, our hearts agree with those three things I just brought before you. But we need to recognize because we live in a fallen world, there are multitudes of people, and it's growing larger all the time, who do not believe those truths. They don't believe there's a God. They don't believe God ought to be glorified. They don't believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. They don't even believe they need to be saved. There's a larger group that's growing year by year that statisticians have, uh, have named this. They call them the nuns, the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. And those that are in that category are people who say, I don't identify with anything. <laughs> it's almost like they're thinking, well, if I'm neutral, I'll be okay. I, I won't identify with paganism. I, I won't identify with Christianity. I'm just not going to identify with anything at all. PewResearch.org says 6 in 10 of religiously unaffiliated Americans describe their religious identity as atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular. And that nothing in particular group is growing. Here's why. They, they say the question of religious teachings is a very important reason for them to lack affiliation, for them not to want to be affiliated. Affiliated. Number two, the second most common reason is this, is opposition to the positions taken by churches on social and political issues. So some of the very things we're going to be talking about, that's reasons why they don't want to affiliate. Number three, it's a smaller number, but still a significant number. They say they just dislike religious organizations. I can understand that. I've been to places where I disliked it too. Amen. Number four, 37% of them say, I don't believe in God. Number five, they consider religion irrelevant to them. In other words, there's nothing they see that they get out of it. They they don't need it. They they can take care of things themselves. Number six, they dislike religious leaders. And that hurts my heart. And it doesn't hurt my heart because I feel like it's an attack against me. It hurts my heart because I'm afraid they've got a valid argument because sometimes religious leaders have acted in such a way that's driven them away from the gospel instead of attracted them to the gospel. You think that happens in our culture? Huh? But see, we need to factor into all that this. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? But before we just... Go out on a crusade against certain people and their lifestyles. 
before we just get angry and fed up with them. We need to recognize the reason they're in the condition they're in is because of the fall. We need to recognize that their heart has been impacted by the fall. We need to recognize that their heart is being deceived and they're being misled by their own heart. And guys, if we will look at them in that way, we can still confront them with the truth, but do it with the right attitude instead of being hateful and mean spirited and just act like we, you know, we think they're crazy and they, and they ought not even exist whatsoever. It doesn't matter what arena we're talking about, what lifestyle they have. We need to recognize they are in that condition because of the fall and because they're deceived by their own heart. And if we would think about that, it'd help us maybe respond the right way. Think, think about it for a minute. So it's talking about the heart being sick. How do we respond to somebody that's sick? There's someone you know that's dying of cancer and you're trying to hang out with them some and trying to minister to them some. How, how do you respond to them? You kick them around for being sick? <laughs> do, do you look down on them? Do you beat them up? Because hey, you've got cancer. Then why do we do that with other sicknesses that people have in their lives they're being impacted by the fall someone that's being wounded emotionally well what should be our response as christians well i understand you're hurt you've been wounded emotionally let me hurt you a little bit more is that the way we should respond or should we respond in, in someone where we're trying to minister to them i'm not talking about ignoring their sin i'm talking about us approaching the truth that they need to hear in the right way. And I'm afraid that's a, a problem that we have in the church today. It's a problem I have. It's awful easy for me to just get so frustrated. All I hear and everything that's being crammed on my throat. I told you last week in the first part of the message, I kind of feel like that the, the world culture has put a, a funnel down my throat and I'm being force fed all kinds of things that I don't like the taste of. And if I'm not careful, I'll respond in the wrong way. And I think you will too. And that's why we need to understand the foundational reason why. Another reason is this for our culture being so messed up. The downward spiral of humanity or the human race. The downward spiral of humanity reveals why our culture is so messed up. We're, I'm going to read to you some out of Romans chapter 1, make a few comments there. But you see, our, our world is deluded. A lot of people are deluded, especially a lot of progressive people are, 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 are deluded into this. Well, we're evolving into something better. Not according to the Bible. If you're reading the Bible, if you're going to believe the creation account, it tells me that God had Adam to name all the animals. How many of us would have the capacity to name all the animals? Come up with all unique, different names for all the animals. Guys, ever since the fall, mankind's been in a spiral downturn. And that's what the Apostle Paul addresses here in Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. In other words, we can look, if we're willing to look and be honest about it, 
and be logical about it. You can look at creation and come away with the idea, there must be a God. There must be an intelligent creator. Look at the order of the universe. Look at how everything is made. Look at human DNA. That did not just happen at a mistake. So there was that excuse. In other words, there's enough evidence for God just in creation of where man's without excuse. For although they knew God, you see, God not just revealed himself through creation, he did through the conscience of men. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Guys, apply this to even our culture today. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, because they did those things, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Now, now let me tragically kindly point out to you some things from those verses. God revealed himself clearly to mankind through creation and also through conscience. Thus, mankind is without excuse. Secondly, mankind chose not to honor God or glorify God. That's where we are still yet today in our culture. Well, if I try and honor and glorify God, that means I don't get to do what I want. I don't get to live my life the way I want to live my life. Number three, mankind refused to be thankful to God. And that still happens in our culture today. Hey, God gives us the air we breathe. He, he allows the blood to course through our bodies. He, he allows our hearts to beat. He's given us so much in this world. Factor into that even more that he put his son on the cross that we can have everlasting life through faith in him. And yet mankind refuses to be thankful. It said mankind's thinking became flawed, we're told in those verses. So when we look at humanity and we look at a lot of these hot topics we're going to deal with, guys, we've got to remember that. Don't be angry at that individual and be attacking that individual. Their mind is flawed because of the fall. Their mind is flawed because of the impact of sin upon the human race. Then their hearts became darkened. Number six, because of mankind's flawed thinking and darkened hearts, we became fools pretending to be wise. Number seven, mankind exchanged the glory of God for their own desires and wishes. So God gave them over to their own flawed, darkened, and impure desires. That's what's happened, guys. That's why people are so pulled in and so focused upon these wrong things. Because God gave them over to those things because mankind took those things and made them as an idol, more or less. I'll say more about that in a second. Mankind exchanged the truth of God for a lie and decided to worship their own desires rather than God. You see, that's the heart of idolatry. We, we think somehow in our mind, in order to be practicing idolatry, we've got to set up a golden image, a silver image, a stone image, whatever, a wood image, something we made by our hands, and, and we put it out there and we bow down to it. Yes, that is idolatry. But you know what is also idolatry? Anything you substitute for God. Anything you allow to be the driving force in your life except for God, that also is idolatry. If you allow your own desires and your own lust to be what drives your life and rules your life, you have made your own desires and your own lust an idol that you're going to chase after. Instead of worshiping God, you're worshiping your own desires. 
You see, that foundationally explains something to us that we really severely need to understand as believers. If not, we will respond the wrong way to the culture. We need to tell them the truth, but we need to tell them the truth in the right way. David Platt also said this in counterculture. Because a lot of people say, well, I don't believe there's a God. That was in those stats I read a few minutes ago. There's no such thing as God. He said this, to say there's no God is really an unsustainable negation. In other words, you can't say that and really know it. Let, let me illustrate that. If I were to tell you there's a gold coin hidden in this room somewhere, and you say, I don't believe that. I don't believe there's a gold coin in this room. You can't really say that until you've investigated every crevice and every square inch of this room. You got up here in these rafters. You look at the top of all these metal rafters. You look in every crack and crevice. You look tucked down in the chairs. You look at every little thing in this room, this whole room, before you could ever say, I don't believe there's gold coin. Now, before you start tearing the room apart, there's no gold coin that I know of. I didn't pitch you a gold coin there. But you understand the illustration? For someone to say there's no God, that means this. They must have investigated all the universe, all of creation. And they cannot do that because in order to do that, they would have to be omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent just like God is. So in essence, to say there's no God, you know what you've really done? You've made yourself God. I know. (laughs) I'm God. I know there can't be any God. And that's an unsustainable argument because none of us can investigate the whole universe and say there's no such thing as God. Guys, I wanted to give you that. I spent a lot of time there because of this. I want us to understand why culture is the way it is because if we fail to understand that, we're going to be mad and upset at individuals who are impacted by sin, who are misled by sin, who are living in a fallen world. And if we will understand that's why they are who they are, that's why they're acting the way they act, then that can give us a more proper condition response to them. And instead of being upset at them, we can recognize, hey, that's true of you because of the fall. I'll say more about this later, but let me, let me just be really specific for a minute about something in our, in our, in our culture. And I will talk about homosexuality in this series. I will talk about homosexuality after I talk about sexuality because we need to visit sin in our own camp before we just go pouring out the sin of somebody else. Because there's enough divorce and sexual immorality within the church. We better, if we're going to be honest, deal with that before we just start talking about somebody else's sexual sin. Amen? But if someone says, I was born this way, Do you understand that's their perception of reality? And you understand their mind is flawed because of the fall? They may actually believe they were born like that. And as a result of the fall, they may actually have tendencies in that direction because of the fall. But that doesn't make it God's fault. Do you understand the difference? They they are living in a fallen world. And that's just applying that to one of those topics. Apply it to all that we're going to talk about. Second thing I want you to see today is this. As Christ followers, if we're going to have the right approach, the right attitude 
toward our culture. As Christ followers, we also need to understand why we should seek to challenge and change culture to begin with. What is some foundational reason why we should have the desire to engage culture? Why should we be concerned about culture? Why should we be upset about culture? And I submit to you, one foundational reason is this. The foundational reason that we should challenge and seek to change worldly culture is because the Bible says God is to be glorified. Stop and ask yourself, is God being glorified in our culture? I'm talking about massively. I'm talking about, you know, if you were to weigh things out in a scale, in a balance, is God really being glorified in our culture? And guys, I'm afraid if we'd be honest and ask ourselves this question, is God really being glorified in our churches? We might have a problem there too. But foundationally, the Bible teaches that God is to be glorified by his creation. And that ought to be one of the foundational reasons why we ought to be concerned about culture. Let me read to you some scriptures. Psalm chapter 96, verse 4 through 9. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Notice this in verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come to his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. That's what we're supposed to do. Psalm 115 in verse 1 says this, Not to us, O God, but to your name give glory. You see, we have flipped that. <laughs> the way our culture views it is, not to, you, go God, not to you, God, but to us give the glory. That's the way our culture has flipped it around. And yet the Bible says it is not to be to us. We're not to be glorifying ourselves, but we're to give glory to his name for the sake of his steadfast love and his faithfulness. The word glory there means weight or significance. So you need to understand this. We cannot change the inherent glory of God because God is glory. You recognize that? I can't make God more glorious inherently, but I can change the perception of the glory of God by the way I live my life and the choices that I make and the way I respond to him. I can change the perception that other people have of his glory. In John chapter 13, verse 31 and 32, it says, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. The word that Jesus used for glorified there means to render or esteem glorious. Jesus is talking about, hey, it's my time. It's a time for me to go to the cross. This is going to show you who I am. This is going to prove my glory. But what I'm about to do also is to glorify the Father. Jesus had the desire for the Father to be glorified. And guys, that's the desire we ought to have as Christ followers for God to be glorified. And since God is not being glorified in our culture, that means we need to engage culture and challenge culture because God God inherently is supposed to be glorified by his creation. I want you to hear the message from heaven. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 9 through 11, 
Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him that's seated on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who's seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor. You created all things and by your will they exist and are created. The word there means glory is very apparent. Guys, there's coming a day when everyone will understand how glorious God is. There's coming a day when we as believers will see him as he is. Don't mistakenly think when you get to heaven, you're going to walk around with your little crown on your head for all the good things you've done in your life. And you're going to walk around and prance around and show that crown. I'll tell you what you're going to do as soon as you see Jesus, you're going to cast it at his feet. Amen. Because he's the one that deserves the glory. And when we see him, we'll understand exactly how glorious he is. Let me read to you another quote that I think is really important by J.C. Ryle. He's an Anglican clergy and writer from 1816. He lived from 1816 to 1900. Do not come up and ask me if I knew him personally. I will smack you in a Jesus kind of way after the service. He wrote this, a zealous man in religion is preeminently a man of one thing. It is not enough to say that he is earnest, hearty, uncompromising, thoroughgoing, wholehearted, fervent in spirit. He sees one thing. He cares for one thing. He lives for one thing. He is swallowed up in one thing. And that one thing is to please God. How different would our lives be if that's our attitude? Keep reading. Whether he lives or whether he dies, whether he has health or whether he has sickness, whether he's rich or whether he's poor, whether he pleases man or whether he gives offense, whether he is thought wise or whether he is thought foolish, whether he gets blame or whether he gets praise, whether he gets honor or whether he gets shame. For all these, the zealous man, talking about someone that's zealous for God, the zealous man cares nothing at all. He burns for one thing, and that one thing is to please God and to advance God's glory. If he's consumed in the very burning, he's content. He feels that like a lamp. He is made to burn, and if consumed in burning, he has but done the work for which God appointed him. Can you read that in your heart not break? Can you read that and not feel like there's a huge deficit in my life, in your life, in our church life, that we don't burn as we should for the glory of God, that our huge desire should be this. We want to please God, and we want to glorify God, and that's what he's called us to. Another quote from a missionary to India and Persia is this. His name was Henry Martin. He said, I cannot endure existence if Jesus was not glorified. We've lost something, guys. Will you agree with that? As believers, as Christ followers, as the church, we've lost something. Because I think we can just run on about our own little plans, our own little party, and not be worried at all about this, not feel any remorse for it. And he said that I couldn't endure existence if Jesus wasn't glorified. He said it would be hell to me if he were to be 
always dishonored. Third thing we need to recognize before we jump into these hot topics is this. We need to understand what our goal is. We need to understand what our motive is. As Christ followers, our motive must be to change the culture with the gospel of Christ. I alluded to that last week. Guys, our goal is not to win an argument. Our goal is not to say, look, we're right as Christians. We're right and all the rest of the world is wrong. Our goal is not to be hateful toward other people that live a different lifestyle. Our goal is to win them. We're not supposed to have the attitude of, well, because you're living that lifestyle or you're doing this or you're doing that, I hope you go to hell. Because that's almost the attitude that the church conveys sometimes. Our attitude needs to be that we understand, our motive should be that we're trying to engage the culture and change the culture with the gospel of Christ. We're not trying to win an argument. We're not trying to be holier than thou. We're not seeking to condemn, destroy, and just scream at the culture in anger. Our goal is to transform the culture by winning people to Jesus. And that happens one life at a time as we reach them and win them to Jesus. Our goal is not to drive people from Jesus. Jesus, we're supposed to be an attractive that pulls people toward Jesus. Let me read some scriptures and we're done. Matthew 28, the great, what's the name of this? The great what? Great what? Oh, it's not just a suggestion. Jesus didn't say this, so if you want to do it, fine. If you don't want to do it, fine. Is it, is it, it's really a commission? Is it something we're really supposed to do? <laughs> Go therefore and make disciples. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're not to be making enemies. We're to be making disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Hey, all nations includes people that like us and people that don't like us. It includes people that hate us. It includes people that look at us as a bunch of bigots in this day and time. It includes everybody. It doesn't matter their race, the color of their skin. It doesn't matter their background. It doesn't matter their lifestyle. Our goal is to make disciples of all nations, all peoples. We're to be baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe. Guys, understand this up front. The lost world doesn't understand what we understand. They don't know to observe. They need to be taught. That's why we have to make disciples anyway. They don't know. We think we know and that they ought to know better than the way they're living. They don't know. That's why we need to reach them with the gospel. That's why we need to disciple them. Teach them to reserve all I've commanded and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. In other words, hey, listen, listen, you can do what I've just told you to do because I'm with you. Matthew chapter five, verse 13 through 16. Listen to what Jesus said. You're the salt of the earth. And in just a minute, he's going to say you're the light of the world. So that kind of gives us an identity as believers of something we ought to be doing. You're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all that's in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. He tells us we're to be like salt. 
And salt guys flavor things. I saw a big theological debate uh, on Facebook that involved some of our church people recently. You want to vote on it? Watermelon, salt or no salt? Huh? Salt or no salt? (laughs) Aggie Davis put a big, you know, gift there, shaking head no, you know, like that in it. She was here in the first service. She knows I said it. Don't run to her and say, Pastor's talking about you. She heard me say it. I, I, I think it's conditional. It depends on how sweet it is or not. You know? But guys, salt adds flavor to things. There's, there's some things I can't hardly eat unless it's got a little bit of salt on it. And I, I've got some problems with high blood pressure, some. I have to kind of watch out what I do. We start buying the pink Himalayan salt, trying to convince ourselves that's better. It, 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 must, it must be more organic because every now and then I get something in that will not dissolve and I think it's sand or dirt or something like that that's in it. <laughs> but we're supposed to add flavor. Guys, our Christianity ought to flavor in a good way our culture. And, and if it doesn't, what good are we? He says it's like we ought to be thrown underfoot. Salt in that day and time was used as a preservative. They didn't have all the means to preserve. So our our faith and our Christianity apply the right way in our culture can be a preservative in people's lives. It was even used in that day and time for wounds and things. And yes, if you put salt in a wound, it's going to what? It's going to sting. It's going to burn. But guys, as we tell people the truth of the gospel, even when we tell it in the right way, it might sting them a little bit, but guess what? Our goal isn't to hurt them. Our goal is to help them and heal them. Amen? He said we're to be light. And a light helps people do what? See. We're not to hide our light under a basket. We're to, we're to shine the, the light that Jesus has placed in us in a way that causes the world to glorify God, not to reject God, not to be distant from God. That's the way that many people have displayed light. That's the way I'm afraid the church has displayed light in the wrong way. And we have driven people from church and we have driven people from the gospel. Instead, we're supposed to be salt that flavors and we're supposed to be light that helps people see. All we can do is help them see. We can't live their lives for them. We can't decide, hey, I'm going to make you change the way you are. But we can tell people the truth and help them see in ways that brings glory to God. Colossians chapter 4 verse 5 and 6 says this, conduct yourself wisely toward outsiders. Here's what he's saying. Hey, the people that aren't believers, the people outside the church, be careful the way you act toward them. Be careful the way you respond toward them. Making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious. Do you see that? Not condemning, not hateful, not mean-spirited, but but let our speech be gracious, seasoned with that salt again we just talked about, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Our goal is to win them, not drive them away. Our goal is to win them, not wound them further. First Peter chapter three and verse 18 through 17. Let me point out some things in it real quick. And then I've got one last passage of scripture I want to read and we're done. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and an humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. We as believers are not to be repaying culture evil for evil. 
or to be reviling against them. On the contrary, bless. We're, we're to bless our culture. We're to bless people around us because we're called to do that in order that we might also receive a blessing. Now, we don't have time to turn there, but if you'll look this up sometime, you'll find out that when the children of Israel were carried away into Babylon captivity by the same people that burned their homes and burned their temple and carried them away, that they decided to be a blessing to that city. They were called to be a blessing to that city. The very people that hated them, the very people that burned their homes, they lived in that culture trying to be a blessing to those people. I would suggest we all do the same in our culture. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to the prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Guys, that's not just talking about the lost world. He sees us and he sees our attitudes and he sees the words that we use. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them nor be troubled. Don't shrink back from telling people the truth. Don't worry about how they might respond. But instead, in your hearts, regard Christ as the Lord is holy. You need to set your heart aside to the Lord as him being holy. Always, catch this, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a region of the hope that is in you. Yet do it, catch this, guys, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile you and revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Did you see the attitude, the way we're supposed to do it with gentleness and respect? And that's why I want to point all this stuff out before we start dealing with these hot topics. I want to close by talking about Paul being an example of everything we're talking about. I'm not going to read all the passages that will be on the screen. I'm going to talk through some of it. I will read part of it. Paul was in Athens, Greece. Athens was known for its philosophers. And Paul shows up in Athens and he's walking around and he's seeing all these shrines built to idols. And more or less, the Bible says it vexed him. He, he hated what he saw. He was filled with disdain. He, 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 he could not stand the fact that, that God was not being glorified. And all these shrines, all these idols were all over Athens. But he began to talk to some of those philosophers. And they began to question him about some things. And, and they said, well, we want to hear more of this. And they, and they even take Paul and they bring him to, to what was more or less the, a, a council of philosophers there in, in Athens. And, and as Paul begins to talk to them there, to that council of, of people in Athens... He said down near the middle of verse 22, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. For therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Now, now, now get this. Understand the context. Paul's really, really angry because God isn't being glorified. He's really upset within himself because of all the idolatry that's there. But he doesn't start out slamming them. He even kind of makes it sound like I can tell you're really religious. He, he, he kind of gives an, uh, an inviting word to them almost to draw them in. 
And then Paul reaches out and grabs something in their culture. The fact that they had a shrine there to the unknown God. So he grabs something out of their culture. And he begins to use that to unpack the gospel with them. Guys, that's what we're called to as believers. That's kind of what apologetics is about. We're supposed to take elements of our culture and grab those elements of our culture, not to put a stamp of approval on them, but find ways that we can take culture and use it as an avenue to speak truth into people's life and have an avenue to share the gospel with them. That's what we find Paul doing here. He goes on and says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he need anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life, breath, and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined and allotted periods and boundaries for their dwelling place. Now, now catch what Paul's doing. He's going to give them a biblical worldview. That's why he's going back to creation and stepping forward from that point. Giving them a biblical worldview of where we came from and who God is. That's what he's doing in, in this passage of, of Scripture as he begins to talk to them. Do you notice he said that God has even allotted boundaries? Have you noticed we live in a culture today that everyone wants to erase all the boundaries? Let's have a one-world government, one-world religion. Does that sound like that's starting to fulfill something in prophecy to you? Let's erase all the boundaries. God established those for some reason. But we live in a world that people want to just erase all those boundaries. He goes on, and he said, Having determined and lot of those boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is not very far from each one of us, for notice what Paul does here. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. You see what he does again? He grabs a piece of culture. He's kind of making them feel good about what their poets have written. And say, even as your own poets have have written this, I'm telling you what they've written is true about this God that you say is an unknown God. Guys, I would submit to you, we can selectively and carefully do it, but we can take elements out of our culture and grab it and use it to find an avenue in the lives of people and the avenue in the hearts of people and engage them with the truth of God's word but do it in the right way. He says, for we indeed are his offspring. Being that God's offspring, we ought to think, we ought not to think the divine is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to, notice what he did. He said the word what? Repent. So he starts out using culture. He's finding an open door into their lives, but then he tells them the truth. He he tells them that God is expecting you to repent. And he goes on and to tell them this, because he's fixed the day when he'll judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he's appointed, talking about Jesus. And of this, he's given assurance to all by raising him, Jesus, from the dead. Now, when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some of them mocked. So in other words, as we try and share people the truth of the gospel, as we try and deal with these hot topics, some people will mock you 
will mock us. But others said, we will hear again about this. Catch the wisdom of that. Paul dealt with them in such a way, with such an attitude that they wanted to hear more. He didn't drive them away. He, he didn't shout at them and be angry with them to the degree. They think, you know what? We're done with you. We don't want to hear any more. No, they said, we want to hear more. We'll hear more of this later. But notice what else happened. Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed. Same thing still true today. Some people won't believe. Some people will mock and make fun of what we believe and what we try to tell them is biblical truth. But some will believe. Amen? And that's our goal. That's what we're supposed to to be about. So as we launch into these hot topics next week, there'll be a couple of times in this series that we'll skip a week because we're going to have a, a missions report uh, I think on August the 4th from our Guatemala team. And uh, by the way, I was going to give some prayer requests in just a minute also before uh, we leave uh, or anything like that. But uh, 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 Jackson uh, was down there with them, and, uh, and Jackson was uh, uh, playing soccer, was having the soccer tournament, and he got his knee completely dislocated. And they got it back together, but he's going to have some more MRIs. He can't walk on for 10 days, so... So remember, remember Jackson in, in, in your prayers as he's down there in that situation. So we'll skip a couple of weeks. There's going to be a youth Sunday in the distance of this. We're going to have an evangelism uh, training Sunday in September, September 22nd. Uh, we're going to have a, a guy that goes uh, all over the place and, and, and does evangelistic training. Some of our men uh, went to see him. His, his name is Don Sunshine. That's not a stage name. That's really his name. He used to be a cop. Can you imagine being Officer Sunshine all, in, in, New, in, New, in New Jersey? A motorcycle cop. But he's going to be here with us and, and do uh, training uh, with us in the first service, second service. We're going to go up and have food to eat and then come back and let him do the second session. Really good training. So there'll be two or three things that happen during the series. But I, everything that I've done last week and this week, do you understand the reason for it? Maybe I can do it for you. Maybe I just did it for me because I can be that guy that screams in the darkness. But I don't want us to be that kind of person in that kind of church. We need to understand the reason why culture is so messed up. We need to understand it's because of the fall. We need to understand the human race is in a downward spiral. We need to understand our goal is to engage them with the gospel. Next week, we'll start out with the topic of racism. will be what we'll deal with next week, the hot topic of racism. Pray for me as we deal with these topics. Not wanting to be hurtful. But I want to be truthful. And I think, I hope you understand, after I took time last week and this week to establish a foundation, the way we ought to approach these topics. Amen? Will you pray with me? Father, God forgive us when many times we just allow ourselves to be drifted into culture and driven by culture instead of the truth of your word. 
Father, I pray, especially this morning, if there's anyone in this place that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that you would help them to understand the great love you have for them, the great price you paid for them on the cross, and give them the faith they need to say yes to Jesus. Father, if there's someone here in this service today or upcoming services as we deal with these topics and people who, unknown to me, are wrestling with some of these things we're going to talk about. Father, I I pray you speak to them with your spirit. I I pray you engage them with your love and, and help them understand how much you care for them. And Father, save them, redeem their life. Father, give them victory over the things that they so struggle with. But God, for us as believers... I pray you've already conditioned our hearts. I pray, Father, as we engage culture in these messages coming up, that you'll give us the right spirit as we talk about these topics here in this place. But, Father, moreover, give us the right spirit and the right attitude and the right words and the right actions toward our culture as we go out and live in this world. Help us to win people to you, not drive them away. But God, help us to be willing to stand on the truth of your word in a loving way. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.